for folks who don't know, the Free State Project is a movement of voluntary human action where we are trying to concentrate libertarians in the state of New Hampshire. I think we've got as accomplished in the last five decades. Are my friends and my neighbors who are willing to stand against tyranny, make their voices heard, and have a goddamn impact. You have a problem with two people are afraid to say what they believe in, but they'll actually do something about it. If you're afraid to stand outside the TSA line and piss off 97% of people who are waiting just to take the arm building up their ass in five seconds, then you're probably not ever going to make the change. Free State Project, again, it's, it's 1% of the Free State Movement. I am a friend of the Free State Project. And would you encourage people to check and, it out? Absolutely. Check it out. Find out. If you like it, join us. Continue the effort. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, libertarians, anarchists, movers, natives, and those on your way, thanks for tuning in to Free State Live, where you get to hear about all the ways you can live free and thrive in the free state of New Hampshire. But first and foremost, time to welcome back your host. I'm Justin O'Donnell, former libertarian candidate for U.S. Senate and host of the O'Donnell for Liberty and Subversive podcasts. And joining me as always, local activist and New Hampshire's tallest free stater, Bill Barker. How are you doing, Bill? You got to unmute yourself. What's going on? Good to be here. Another Monday, 23rd episode. We're doing <laughs> And back again after a stint dealing with the government, CEO of Library and FSP board member Jeremy Kaufman. Welcome back, Jeremy. How was your break? Break? Was I on a break? I didn't I didn't know. <laughs> well, you took some time to go deal with government agents. I'd call that a break from doing something positive. You know, it's life. it's casual at this point. It's just so normal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And joining us this week, we have Free State Project Early Mover and Croydon School Board Chair, Jody Underwood. Jody, thanks for joining us. How are you? Did I lose Jody? Are you there? Or are you frozen? I'm there here. you are. There you go. Uh, all right. How are you tonight, Jody? I'm exhausted but other than that good. <laughs> well it's oh exhaustion means you're working and i mean you're usually working on fantastic things um those of you who tuned in last week and watched last week we had a new mover zephan join the show to talk about uh what it was like landing in new hampshire in the midst of the most active and successful liberty movement in history um but a lot of people don't realize that what the Free State Project and the Free State Movement has become and the successes we've had wouldn't be what it is today if it weren't for the early movers, people who showed up way before the move was triggered, who uh, took a gamble, dropped their st uh, stuff in New Hampshire, struck up a lifestyle, and started making Liberty win to the point where when we all got here later, there was stuff to do. The backbones of the Liberty Movement in New Hampshire, the early movers, and Jody, you've been here almost 15 years now. And have done everything from homesteading to homeschooling to running for government office to being an activist. Like, what hasn't Jody done? Like at this point, <laughs> I haven't actually done homeschooling. I don't have kids, so I'm 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 for you're, it. You're who I know to go to as the education expert. So. <laughs> I know a lot about education. Yeah. So what what's the story like? What possessed you 15 years ago uh, to pick up your life, move to New Hampshire, and be one of the early movers for the Free State Project? I had no idea what I was getting into. Um, <laughs> I mean, what happened was, I mean, the honest truth, we, we, we read about it in uh, Reason Magazine, and my husband, Ian, and I. And we thought, wow, that's a great idea. We didn't know anything about the signing 20,000 signatures. We didn't know that. We just like, wow, 
putting together libertarians in a small state. That sounds like an excellent idea. The next time we want to go on an adventure, let's move to New Hampshire. So that, <laughs> that's what we did. Um, we met Neil and Emily Smith and they want, when we lived in Pennsylvania, right outside of Philly. And, um, they, we all decided to go on an adventure. And so we did, that's how we got here. So, and it's been a crazy adventure. Um, recently you've been front page news here in New Hampshire, which means you haven't slowed down. Um, I think that's been something everyone's been most excited to see happen. Um, and some of the, like the craziest stuff people say, if free staters ever get in charge, you're going to do X, Y, and Z. And usually it's like the worst case possible for the progressive or the statist. Like they're going to like abolish the police or they're going to like abolish public schools. And to my understanding, the only ones that have been successful at coming close to doing either of those things have been you and Ian. Um, I mean, I haven't done anything to abolish the schools. I've been on the school board since right. 2010. Um, and the first thing I did was I created, created, I, I, I clarified, I helped clarify a law on the books that um, for town tuitioning to allow uh, private schools in, in the town tuitioning program. Um, and that was a hard fight. That was the last time I was in the news a lot. Um, that was five, seven years ago, I guess. Um, so what that did was allowed kids in Croydon to go to Newport Montessori starting in grades in grade five. Um, and half of our kids in, in grades five through eight go to, to Newport Montessori now. And I would imagine that would grow if they had the space for it. That's awesome. So I didn't shut any schools down. I mean, th this, you actually, you actually gave access to more schools to right. more people. Oh, and now it's religious schools. We're actually last year, you know, the, the U S Supreme court passed, passed, um, had a case. Uh, there was a case that one that basically they said, if you use public money to send kids to private schools, then you have to allow religious schools in that program. Otherwise, it's discrimination. Right. So we're like, sure, we'll do that in Croydon. And uh, awesome. Yep. So two families sent their kids to uh, Mount Royal uh, Academy in Sunapee this past year. And I hope that continues. Um, I'm not even religious, and I love that. I love that. Let people right. let it's people use cool. their money for whatever school they want. You know, it's exactly. money you paid into the system. It's for the parents to choose, right? I mean, Absolutely. a lot of people are like separation of church and state. You can't spend public money on on religious schools. It's like no, no, no. Separate separation of church and state means the parents get to decide, and the government doesn't get to judge that. And that's also the also that public money was private money before it was public money. You know, like pretty right. pretty clearly was like that was my private money that shook for me and declared public money before I even got to choose what to do with it in terms of my private interests. And then you spent it in my private interests, allegedly, for the public interest, which didn't serve me. So now I have to go spend it somewhere else. I mean, like, this just makes sense to make the people choose where their money goes. Like, oh, if I get to pay into the school system, it applies to the Catholic school. That's where I want my kid to go to or like the Montessori school or whatever school. Well, Mark's if you're really, your high for all I care. I mean, if you really want to go there, then we shouldn't. I mean, parents who can afford to send their kids to these schools should just be paying directly, and it should really be more like welfare, right? Where public money is only used to help those who need help. That's where you know public education is kind of a bad model. Like food stamps is a better model, right? Um, help with uh, Utilities—that's a better model. Even though, sure, it could be done through private private charity. That's great. But if you're gonna do it this way, that would be the better way to do it. Right. Although, like, imagine it comes imagine down if to, every if family. If I remember correctly, there was a point like right when you, uh, a few years ago. Uh, I don't I don't know how long ago it was, 
uh, when you first got elected to the school board where you redefined what an adequate education was because the New Hampshire Constitution? Or was there, there was a bill that was pushed to redefine it and you were, uh, took advantage of that because the New Hampshire State Constitution has a provision that demands every student have access to an adequate education regardless of whether or not their town's collecting taxes or not. So I thought be, I saw somewhere. You might be conflating a couple of things. I might be. I know nothing about the subject, so... Can can, can I go back to that food stamps thing really, really quick? I just wanted to say, imagine if everybody was supposed to live off of food stamps, and that was a thing. They centralize it. You could only get the stuff that was dependent on food stamps. That's what our public school system is. It's the food stamps of an education program. Yeah, or because what supermarket you can shop in or what gas station you need to go to. It's all, I mean, it's all like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. I I just like didn't I didn't want to lose that thought, and it was like I didn't think it was going to come back to it. And since Justin got it wrong, I was going to trample on that moment. I remember reading something along those lines, and I probably very easily mixed it up. That's why I wanted to ask you about it because I know nothing about education and the education system at all. So the school. Let's call it the school system because it's not clear everybody gets educated in it, right? Mm. <laughs> right. Make that distinction. Language has meaning, right? Words have meaning. Um. So. I mean, I don't. I didn't do anything about an adequate education. What I can tell you is, back in 1998 or so, um, the there was a New Hampshire Supreme Court case. It was called the Claremont decision. Um, they declared that um, it is the state's job to provide the opportunity for an adequate education to all educable children. Okay, and the state, the state legislators, um, I saw Mark Warden write a comment there, so I'm pointing this at him. Um, they implemented a law that defined what it meant to be an adequate education. And honestly, in my opinion, that's just gone way too far. They're just listing, it's a laundry list of things that you have to cover in schools in order to prove, quote, prove that you're providing they don't even say an opportunity anymore. They just say an adequate education. But a lot of schools aren't providing an adequate education. They're covering math, English, history, um, arts, music. Um, and those are required. It, so I, I had nothing to do with that. I mean, yeah. How do they, how do they define educable child? Everybody ignores that part. Like, like, what is the distinction? Like, what is the child that is not educable? A severely retarded child who is never going to be independent in the world. That would be non-educable, in my opinion. But, you know, somebody gets this and quotes me. uh, (laughs) You know, they're watching, you know, they're watching right now, Jody. So, But, but that I think is what they meant. Look, the reason people, I mean, Ostensibly, the reason we pay taxes to educate people is really to protect ourselves so people can be educated to read, to think, to not be taken advantage of um, out in the world so that we don't have to take care of them later. It's like an investment in the people around you. That's the general idea, although nobody would be able to tell you that, right? (laughs) Well, uh, probably just because their education wasn't good enough. Or maybe um, they weren't educable. Who knows? Well, I kind of wanted to. I mean, Jody is uh, one of the uh, the more difficult guests to summarize. Not that not that any human being can really be summarized, but like you that know, Jody, like a contest waiting to happen. Right. But I mean, I think that like you've been involved in some things that are 
very complex. Um, they're tough to kind of get your head around. So you have to have all this understanding of the situation in the first place to even understand the significance of what you're doing. Um, but you, you've really done, uh, you know, quite a lot and, and are continuing to do, uh, you know, quite a lot. And so I think like, you know, given that a lot of our audience has you know, sort of no idea who, who Jody is, has no appreciation for some of the significance of these things. Like we were talking about the, the tuitioning in Croydon and like, maybe it would make sense because that's a, that's a, that's a tremendous issue. And like, maybe it would make sense to really like, just like slow down a little bit and like, let's explain that for people who have no idea about any of this stuff. Sure. Yeah. And a lot of people who know a lot about schools don't know what town tuitioning is. Um, it's, it's quite fascinating. Uh, basically it's a very simple law and it's been around forever. Um, literally since public schools started and became like a, a system of sorts. If you have a school, if you don't provide all the grades in your district, in your town, then you can do what they call tuition out your kids to nearby school districts or schools. But if you, if you provide the grades, so Croydon has a K to four school, we can't offer school choice for K to four, but we can for five to 12 because we don't have those grades. That's the simple explanation for town tuitioning. Now, how is that affected by like the recent major budget cut? <laughs> so that do you want me to start from scratch? There, well, well, yeah, yeah, there's a scratch on that one. <laughs> that, before we move on, because that was a case. Did it go to the New Hampshire Supreme Court, or it was poised to go to the to the Supreme Court of the United States? Right. That was because the Institute for Justice was involved. There were some big organizations involved in this case, right? No, Institute for Justice was involved in the religious school case last year. Okay. Uh, we had a choice involved in, in the town tuitioning case. So what happened there was um, we implemented school choice. We asked our town what schools they wanted to be able to send their kids to. They told us every school under the sun, religious, private, Concord, Keene, everywhere. Um, and we put them all on our list and we put it in our withdrawal plan. This is according to the RSA, how you have to do this thing. Um, and they came back to us and gave us feedback and said, you can't send your kids to, to religious schools, but you can send them to private schools if they're approved by the state. We're like, sweet. So that's what we did. We implemented this program. In the first year, three kids were sent to Newport Montessori, a private school in neighboring Newport, New Hampshire. Um, and Newport Public Schools got wind of that, and they they tattled on us to the Department of Ed. Hey, guess what? Croydon's sending their kids to, to private schools, and they're not allowed to do that. So the, the then commissioner of education, her name was uh, Virginia Barry, um, she uh, told us to take our kids out of the Montessori. This is in February, in the middle of the year. We're like, really? So you're really thinking about the kids here, right? Um, and she's like, oh, yeah, oops, we'll wait till September. So she withdrew her demand. Um, and we just, uh, we wouldn't do it. We actually raised money to help kids stay there when we there was just a whole bunch of things going on. But she took us to court. She sued the, the district and told us to remove the kids. It started with a preliminary injunction, which we won because preliminary injunction, excuse me, preliminary injunction is meant when there's something really serious and, and in imminent danger to somebody. And they claimed that the kids were in danger, I think. It's not clear because that whole court case was a farce. You should read the, the, the transcript from it. So anyway, we won that, but then we lost in Superior Court the same case. Um, 
And that was an interesting thing too, because I think it rested on this one thing. There's an RSA that says that school districts are allowed to make contracts with other schools, something, something, in, including but not limited to public schools, public academies, and other literary institutions. So the judge asked the AG, uh, who was representing the state, um, what that meant, what but not limited to meant. And she said, well, I don't know what it means, but it couldn't mean private schools because we don't do that. And that was the linchpin on the case. And that's how we lost. Um, so we appealed to the, to the New Hampshire Supreme Court back then. Um, and we had a former New Hampshire Supreme Court justice representing us. He represented us for this whole trial. Um, and they agreed to see our case, but at the same time, I shepherded a bill through the legislature to, to basically clarify the law to allow private schools, and that law passed. So we didn't need to go to the Supreme Court, so we never did, so we withdrew our uh, appeal. That's that story. Gotcha. So you, you were kind of coming at it from both sides there, which I, I suppose is a pretty good, pretty good that's, strategy. That's smart. Right, exactly. We, we we needed to be safe. We wanted to be able to keep our program going, and this was a good way to do it. Apparently, so, we had support in the legislature. So that That's leaves awesome. you in a position where you can send your kids to whatever school their parents want them to go to, and uh, but you're still running your K through four in Croydon. Um, has there ever been like a push to just get rid of the K through four and just tuition out a hundred percent? Every few years that comes up and, and the town always votes against it. They like their village school. Everybody likes their village schools. Um, but in this new budget, this um, $800,000 budget, um, it's not clear we can afford to keep it. How much does it cost you per student to tuition them out usually? So, so we set a tuition cap um, and until now and continued till now, we've used Newport as our cap uh, th what their tuition is but they this year for next year's uh, contract with them they just increased our tuition by 11 percent to seventeen thousand eight hundred and eighty dollars per student um and they're one of the lowest performing districts in the state like i don't even know seriously why parents want to send their kids there i mean it's after sports it's close Sports and friends is usually what I hear. I mean, nobody's yeah. talking about academic performance. I mean, some kids do fine there, but I think they would do fine anywhere. Um, so, well, I and think that's the that's one of the big problems with public education as a whole is that like people see it more as childcare than education. I think that's and true. so if it's their kids can be with friends and pass the necessary government requirements, that's all that matters. That's absolutely true. And then they get out and then they, you know, start their lives. They, they stay there till they graduate. That's it. Yeah. So your budget and I, I know this is crazy because like Croydon's not that big of a town. It's, it's a really small town to begin with, but your town meeting, it's like only 60 voters voted for the, uh, on the budget at all. And Ian proposed just cutting it in half and it passed. That that's what happened. Yep. Well, let's let, yeah. Let's like, let's tell that story it? in slow motion. Let's get the Jody version of that. Yeah, like, there's there's so much here, and I'll, I'll just I will I will tee this up for people who like because a lot of our listeners you know don't don't know very much about what's going on, and like you know so so Croydon is it's a small. What's the total population of Croydon? Like eight hundred people. Eight hundred. Eight hundred people. Sorry, I don't know why I said it. yeah. So it's a. Uh, um, uh, you know, it's a small town in New Hampshire. 
it's one of the towns with probably one of the higher proportions of free staters at this point uh, is Croydon. We got in a bunch. Yeah. yeah. Maybe uh, most. <laughs> and, Percentage. And so you guys had a, a a very interesting series of events in your recent, I don't even, your recent town meeting. I mean, like we have people listening to the show who don't even know what a town meeting is. Right. I didn't know what a town meeting was before I moved to New Hampshire, right? So we've got to right. kind of give the sort of like 101 version sure. of, of all of this um in terms of what happened but it was a it was a major event in my opinion it was a big win for for people who believe in liberty and it also got a bunch of i don't know if it got press coverage outside of new hampshire but it was a big story inside new hampshire so maybe take it from the top and and kind of break it down for us sure so traditionally towns all had these town meetings and it's a once a year thing um i mean how it works in croydon is really all i can tell you is uh we have I think it's the second Saturday we have town meeting of March and um, sorry, I'm seeing the comments. It's a little distracting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then the Tuesday before that is elections. So anybody, any, you know, seats that are up for election get voted for by ballot on the Tuesday. And then you get together to vote on budgets. Town meeting is in the morning and then district is in the afternoon. It's the way we do it. Um, there, there are these other larger towns that are now, they're called the SB2 towns. I just hate that they do this. They base it on the bill name in the year that this, this law got passed. Um, <laughs> and they do things slightly differently. They have a deliberative session um, where you talk about the budget, but then you go away and you do ballot. You, you vote for the budget through ballot as well as for people. But after the discussion here, it's like the opposite. I mean, we have a budget, sorry, we have a budget hearing. Um like two or three weeks before the district meeting so everybody can see the details of the budget at whoever shows up and then um and then they come vote for it at the town meeting and it's in the um the town report that gets handed out to everybody so there's this physical uh document it is not online in croydon most towns have it online yeah we don't we're very old-fashioned, and our town is is very much in favor of keeping taxes down. We're one of the lowest tax towns in the state, in the state, New Hampshire. Um, we keep our taxes below twenty dollars per thousand, um, and sometimes much lower. Um, so that's an attraction to start with. Right. So, so I think that's enough about town meeting and district and how that works, right? Um, I, you know, I just want to put in a little thing. I mean, I got appointed to the school board to start with, um, and that a lot of people start their their local um, careers that way, if you want to call it a career, <laughs> um, that, uh, positions. Um, and then I've gotten elected every, uh, and it's a three-year term. Typically, that's true across New Hampshire. Um, and then uh, nobody's even ever run against me although this year i'm, I'm sure I'm, my term's up next year and i'm sure they will run against me if i decide to run again um so all right so now we're back to what happened at the district meeting um so we proposed and the board voted on a 1.7 million dollar budget which um had it was an increase of 30% over the last three years. And I have to say, as a school board member, I was really frustrated by that, but I'm also not like a deep budget person. I mean, I can handle my own budget, um, but trying to figure out that black box that is the school is really hard. So we have to rely on the administration to tell us what's going on and why they need this money and so on. And, and, and we can only go so far. 
Um, so even like for the, the case of Newport's tuition, right? I had always been told that that's the amount they're giving you and it's legal and we have to go with it. I didn't even know we could negotiate and we can. So I learned that this year. So there's all these things that I'm learning about this black box and it's just a, it's a, a crazy black box. I've learned lots of things over the years, but you know, every year is something different. Um, so we presented a $1.7 million budget uh, for the school district, including tuition and everything. Um, and I did a presentation on the chair of the school board. So I did a presentation about it. So even people who didn't come to the budget hearing would know what the budget looks like. And in our town, people tend to go through it line by line during these, these meetings, during the, the annual district meeting and make small changes here and there just to try to get the budget down and ask hard questions sometimes. I mean, you know, it's pretty good. Uh, we didn't get that far this year. So what happened was um, right after my presentation, Ian Underwood, who is my husband and a select board member in Croydon, um, he, but he did this as a citizen. So, you know, select board or not, he's still just a resident of Croydon. Yeah. He stands up and he says, Oh, he actually handed out a booklet that he prepared explaining what he was going to do at, at this meeting. How long how long ahead of time did he hand that out? At the meeting. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, by the way, this document is available online at, at granitrock.com. We can probably get the link out there. And it, it heavily relied on Corey DeAngelis' work. Uh, for, well, at least the image, I don't know, maybe heavily is overstating it, but it's, uh, it's got some really great research on it. It's called Budget Not Ransom. Googling that will probably also let you find it. And uh, it's it's an interesting uh, set of materials that he prepared. I, I, I got to say, if anybody's never met Ian, I w it doesn't surprise me at all that he had a booklet prepared for this out-of-the-blue motion. Yeah. <laughs> you know, basically, the idea that was in there is that our um, budgets have gone up throughout the years, since like the 70s. This is a famous Cato graph, actually, of the NAEP scores. Um, but scores have been flatlined since the 70s. Mm. And it's like, no matter, I mean, there's a bunch of charts that he has put together over the years that just show it doesn't matter how much you spend on your kids, they're going to do what they do. It, it, more or less, I mean, it just doesn't matter. Um, New Hampshire, um, we perform well on tests compared to other states. But on the NAEP test, it's a it's a national it's a federal test that I mean that they put out to, to try to this is how they compare us to the other countries, right? Um, as a whole, the United States and then the individual states and so on. And if you actually look at the data and, and New Hampshire's performance on the data, we generally fall just behind Massachusetts. They're number one. New Hampshire's number two. But we're just really the least worst. We're not great in any sense of the word. Um, we're not even at the proficient level in these tests, right? We, even Massachusetts, it's like below proficient and everybody's calling us, yeah, we're number two. Number two of least worst is what we are. So anyway, I mean, that's uh. one of the things that Ian likes to, to put forward. Um, so yeah, so he handed out this booklet um, and he, so he didn't even think of doing, <laughs> it's not true either. So I think it was election day, the Tuesday before the town meeting, Ian mentioned to somebody else in the, he had to be there all day because he's on the select board. They have to watch the voters and make sure no funny things happen, right? Um, he mentions it to somebody and he's like, oh, that's a really good idea. You should do that. So he's going to get up and he's going to 
propose um, a change in that number and he wants it to be um, $10,000 per kid. And let's assume it's 80 kids because this year we have 77. So he made a little bit of a, you know, a padding on there. So that's where he got the $800,000 thing. Now you can do this at a, at a district meeting or at a town meeting for any warrant article that is in there. And the town gets to put the warrant articles in. Usually this, the boards do it, select or, or school board. Um, you can modify the amount. And that's what he did. Um, so, but I want to go back a year at our last district meeting during a warrant article that you couldn't make any proposals about money. He got up and said, I, and he didn't know how to do it. Actually, he learned it in, within the year. Um, he says, I want to make a proposal to limit the district expenditures to based on some amount per kid. And I'm thinking like $10,000. And this other guy um, in town, Jim Peschke, he was like, I would second that. And this got into the minutes of last year's district meeting. So it was there. Anybody who was at the meeting heard it. And if they wanted to check the minutes, they could have seen it. But here at this year's meeting, yeah, there were probably about 40 people who showed up, which I have to say is pretty typical. Might have been a little smaller than normal, but not much. Um, and I mean, it was snowing outside. People called it a snowstorm and it, it, it was just snowing. I mean, right. they, they probably went to the store, you know, but it, it wasn't right. bad out. Um, the vote in the end, so in the end, the vote was 20 to 14 in favor of the $800,000 budget. Wow. And and people were pissed. Um, so l let me ask you something. What what does it cost? You, you might or might not know the answer to this. That's $10,000 per student, you said, uh, in the budget. What yeah. does it cost to send your child to a private school per year? Oh, so Newport Montessori uh, this year is $8,800. Mount Royal, the Catholic school in Sunapee, they're 8,100. So what you're saying is the public schools with probably a lower rate of performance and lower NAEP scores are charging more than the private schools, yet collecting public funds and not even delivering on their claims that they're going to educate your kids? That's correct. I mean, even schools that do well. I mean, you know, some public schools do have Co good correct. records. So, and then, and then also you said, you mentioned earlier this checklist that uh, have to be, it's like a, all the, the hoops you have to jump through to make sure your school is meeting the federal requirements. Even with those hoops, they're not passing the, the test scores. They're not making the, the There's no ratings. requirement that they do. That's not oh, I see. part so of that's just, education. That's just like how many stars your restaurant gets after I see. So what you're saying is actually cheaper and more efficient and better to send your kids to private schools anyway. So it makes sense to, to lower the budget and stop charging people money for these schools right. that are so, not delivering on their promise. They're going to edu educate and take care of your kids. So let, let's be a little fair here and tell you that districts have more responsibilities than private schools. So districts are responsible for all special ed costs. Um, even if the kids, well, I guess, I, I don't know if a parent pays for private school if they're, if they're responsible for it, but in town tuitioning, we are. Um, throughout the grades. And that can be really, really expensive. We also have to provide transportation through the eighth grade to school if the kids live more than two miles from school or something like that. Um, and these things cost, right? Um, there's all sorts of federal and state requirements that you need an administrator who knows how to do it. Actually, you have to do those at the private schools too. So that that's the same. Um, but th those are the two big ones would be transportation and special ed. Um, 
Yeah. Something, this is maybe more of a comment than a question, but I'm allowed to do that. Uh, the Something that I find so exciting about this is uh, I'm, a, I'm a believer in this theory that the reason the government tends to get larger over time is, you know, the people who have some sort of special interest, the people who care, uh, you know, oh, we need to fix X or Y and we need the government to do it. You know, they're the ones who are really agitated about it. They're the ones who are campaigning on it. They're the ones who are being activists about it. And there's not typically a, a kind of countervailing force. There's never that that kind of momentum or energy on the other side that's like, let's not waste the money on this. And here, and specifically in Croydon, I'm not going to say we're here at the state all, all the way yet, but in Croydon, it, it kind of feels like it's the opposite, where the people who are you know, caring the most and putting all their energy in are the people who want government to be, you know, small and efficient, you know, and this kind of thing. And and they're actually more checked in and more active than the people who would who would who would, you know, be wanting to make the government, um, you know, bigger. And and to me, that that overall phenomenon is why, uh, you know, government has gotten bigger for whatever, 300 years running or a thousand years, I don't know, like all of human history. Uh, and so, uh, you know, to see that happening the, the, uh, in the other direction, to see there being more energy and animation on the side that wants to make government smaller, uh, you know, it's very, it's very exciting and encouraging to me. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I was going to say, what stood out to me of all of this with the, uh, motion at town hall and then it passing is i remember when the news article came out the next day and i heard about it i texted you and i'm like uh the news article makes it seem like you and ian weren't on the same page at all oh really when it came out uh and i thought it was funny you said you didn't think it would pass um at first and there was a quote in the article from another member of the school board who had said something along the lines of ian always proposes something crazy at town meeting That's and right. it never passes well, not that it never, the, the year before he did it when he couldn't pass, but right. he also, I mean, he did it just at a select board meeting. I mean, he proposed to eliminate the police department and his board agreed with him and they, they, I mean, it was just a select board decision, not a town decision. But um, didn't they make the one police officer walk home that night? They didn't make it. I don't know if they made no, it. No, they didn't. That's, and that's an example of how yeah, people yeah. run. And that's a, you, yeah. Jody, you should tell that story because- it's it's, uh, it's honestly great. even though it's a fake headline it's one of my favorite headlines that's ever been that generated national so. News, but... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so why don't you tell the story of, of how quote a police officer had to walk home in his underwear because he lost his job or the way <laughs> however they presented it so there really was a blizzard that night actually um and he basically was told that he had to return his uniform and his you know everything that belonged to the department um and he was like fine and why, i was why was that why did he have to why did he have to return it because he didn't have a job anymore because they, they well no but for the audience who doesn't know they to, for for the it. audience oh well they they defunded the whole police department they went from having a town from having a town police department to having no town police department. Well, right. they didn't you know that was the whole police department was that one guy. That's right. I don't you know I don't think that's clear to everybody. No, you know, I'm we sorry, you're right. All across that, the country that's not completely watching clear. this. We have a department. We had a department of one cop, and he was the chief of police, but he had no Indians. That's correct. Um, <laughs> and and 
the, the select board uh, for years has been frustrated with him because they don't do the things that they want him to do and he doesn't answer to them. And he, it, I mean, he, you know, it's another black box and they, they, and you can't fire a chief of police. So that's an interesting point. So Ian found the loophole. He was like, huh, how do you get rid of a tenured professor? You get rid of the department. You don't fire them. Right. Uh, so that's what he that's what he proposed. And, and that's what worked. So after that vote, it came out. And this is where Jeremy wants me to go with this. Um, right. You know, he, he needed to give back all his stuff. So he's and he has uniforms at home. Right. He needed to collect everything and not just dropping his uniform there. Just didn't do a thing except, you know, get the news media all about it. Um, and he. And people offered him lifts and whatnot. And, you know, he's like, no, I'm walking home. And then finally, I think his wife came and picked him up on the way. He didn't walk the whole way. So he was in his underwear and, and walked home. Yeah, now, has there been, I assume, uh, that there must have been some consequential increase in crime and you're dealing was, with a bunch <laughs> of problems. I was thinking the same thing. They must you know, probably... The, the first... It was down. The first valid thing I've heard. So we, I've seen things all like this, uh, like on Facebook. People are like, um, somebody found a dead coyote on the road. And they're like, I can't even call a cop to get him in the way. And people are like, do it yourself. What? <laughs> 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 um, so people get called out for that all the time. Or, you know, there's some somebody walked up to somebody's porch and didn't do anything, but he's a little creepy and I can't call the cop because we don't have a cop anymore. You know, it's like, what could he have done anyway? But here's the first one that I found interesting. I just learned it today. So what I haven't told you yet is that um, there was a petition to have a new district meeting. Do you know this? I heard what it. I this? didn't know. I don't know what it means. Well, no, our audience doesn't know, so just take yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, just explain it all. Sure. So there were people who were really angry that that this just got dropped in their lap. There was no, you know, real discussion about it. Only forty people were there for the vote. Um, so some people got a petition together, and there is a way out to do this. If you get fifty registered voters um, who agree with the petition that you want, so they wanted to bring back the original warrant article to vote on the 1.7 million. Um, you can ask for another district meeting to do that, to do whatever your warrant article says in your proposal. So they got more than 50 registered voters and that they did validly. Our supervisors of the checklist had to go through the, the list. They had about 140 people that who signed the petition. Oh my God, I have a million asides here. Uh, somebody has been texting me about it and she's She's really scared because she's on. She wants to vote for the eight hundred thousand dollar budget, but she was bullied into signing the petition. She and her uh, husband both. I don't know what they held over them, but like, really, that's how you got your petition signers? I'm sure they got fifty, so I don't think it's an issue. But wow. Um, anyway, so they did that. So we have another district meeting set for May seventh. So that's going to be the definitive thing. But here's the catch. We have 565 voters in Croydon, and the law says that in order for another district meeting to have a vote at another district meeting, you have to have half of those people show up. 283 people have to show up to this district meeting on May 7th in order to be able to vote on the 1.7 million. Wow. 
let that sink in. So here's the thing about the cop. So I was talking to the moderator today um, who has to be at this meeting. Um, and he is like, wow, we don't have a cop. Like, what if people get out of hand and really angry, like depending on how the vote goes, like who's going to, you know, make, you know, keep it from getting chaotic and you know, maybe put them in cages. Oh well, it's not like you guys don't have law enforcement. Like you still have county sheriffs, you still have state police. Just because you don't have a local cop in the village doesn't mean there isn't a law enforcement resource to the town. That's right. I mean, that would mean dialing nine one one rather than saying, "Hey, cop, could you be here for this meeting just in case?" That's well, I'm sure. I'm the sure idea. the county sheriff would, if you called the sheriff's department, and said, "Could you have someone there?" I think for the case? Oh, that's an interesting idea. All right, I'll run that by the moderator. I'll see if he wants to do that. You'd think. I would think. That should keep both sides happy, too. You know, for for real, that should keep people happy. It's like, you know, we'll have somebody who's an impartial law enforcement officer. That would probably keep people who really would like it to go the other way. Yeah. Yeah, happy. Who isn't a voter in Croydon. Right. Necessarily. Who knows? Maybe he is. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, that's a good idea. And then then maybe run it by the town. Maybe they don't want that. Maybe they would rather... Are these town meetings secret ballots or because when I grew up in Massachusetts, I participated in the RTM representative town meeting and they did it kind of similarly where the town meeting handled all the budgeting for the town. uh, But you had to run for town meeting and be elected to town meeting. Uh, It wasn't just anyone who could show up. It was like four or 500 people. My town that I grew up in was the size of Manchester. Uh, They just called it a town. Um, But we had like a 400 person town meeting that was elected to deal with the budget and everything like that. All of our votes were public raise your hand votes and everyone around knew how you voted. Are the town meetings according like secret ballot or does everyone know who voted which way? So normal town meetings and district meetings are raise your hand. Um, and in fact, not even raise your hand. It starts with a voice vote and then somebody can call for a hand raising and somebody can call for a a secret ballot, but it's all yay and yay. And you know, all that. Um, and if the moderator can't hear well, I mean, it's, it's funny. (laughs) That often like leaves up like with public votes like that, there, there's often a risk of like neighbor intimidation. Like if if somebody wants to vote in favor of your $800,000 budget, but they're scared of the social fallout from their neighbors. So I mentioned this woman who texted me. um, That's exactly what she was afraid of. And that's what she wrote to me about. She said, are we going to have a a closed ballot for this? And it turns out by RSA, we have to. It must be a a single ballot. Yeah. Good. That's the way to go. Now, I want to talk. I want to bring up one other thing, uh, unless there's something else to finish that I saw happen around this. And to me... This is one of the most positive things possible to happen uh, from the movement generally because it shows the sort of acceleration of of trends. Uh, But my understanding is there was someone who was planning to move to Croydon who chose not to sort of backed out of a home purchase uh, because of what happened with the changes to, to the school district. Is that is that correct? Could you talk about that a little bit? I heard it just like you heard it, Jeremy. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, so, I mean, because I think this is, this is what, you know, in, in my view, in terms of the Free State Project succeeding, like one of the criticisms or uh, theoretical criticisms, because I've never really seen it happen, is people say, well, oh, you'll make the state so free, you'll make the state have, you know, such an effective economy of these kinds of things. And like, 
And then all these terrible people who just want more government, they'll, they'll move in and, and take it over. Now, I think uh, the data shows that this is false. If you look at the moving trends, and I think the sort of anecdotes show that this is false in the sense that you see people all the time talking about how, oh, you know, New Hampshire, you know, isn't the place for progressives to be. You know, New Hampshire government is terrible. What they mean is there's not enough of it. Uh, you know, so so this kind of this kind of sentiment. And so to me, like there were the Croydon is, is kind of becoming the most libertarian town in the most libertarian state. That's kind of where I'm at with with Croydon. And and, and so like that it's developing a reputation that people who are pro-government are saying, wait, I don't want to move there. Um, I, you know, I think that's a very positive, positive development uh, to see that kind of thing happening. That so positive development that people don't want to come here who want more government. Yes. yes. I think. Got it. Yes. Cause, um, cause we can sort ourselves out, you know, like, and I think that's one of the most beautiful aspects of, of the free state movement. You know, when you're advocating for libertarianism nationally, you actually are imposing on other people because a lot of people want a large state. A lot of people want a large government. Yep. And so if you say the whole country should be libertarian, there are a lot of people, you, hey, you're taking something away from me. I really want this, et cetera, et cetera. Now we can debate whether that's morally just for them to want those things. We, let's ignore that. You know, but the idea of saying, you know, hey, look, this is, a, this is an 800 person town. You know, we're not trying to take anything away from you. We want a town that that's, you know, in accordance with our values, which are more libertarian than most people's values. And like, okay, so people who don't, people who want large government or, me, or even medium-sized government, they don't need to move to Croydon. There's lots of other towns they can move to. And so this idea that, that people are kind of getting that message that, hey, Croydon's a bad place to live if I want, a, you know, a, 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 a big government, you know, I view that very positively. And I will say, if you're a potential free stater who wants to move to Croydon, Difficult to find properties. You've got to get in the private groups because the Corden properties, you, you get like a couple of weeks in the private groups before they go on the public list. So uh, it's a tough place to find property. In. And if you want to find, if you want to be Jody's neighbor, uh, you got to make sure you're getting in the housing groups. But uh, I don't know. Does that, do you, does, that, does that jive with what you're seeing? Is that like, is Corden developing this kind of reputation? Well, I mean, a reputation up until now has been school choice. Come get free private schools. So <laughs> right? well, they still can. They're just half as much money. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. They can still go to the private schools. Um, they might have to pay out of their own pocket to go to the public schools. But I mean, we're, we're going to try to negotiate with them and see what, what happens. Um, I, I have no idea yet. We're going to wait till after the May 7th vote, though, because we don't know what we have yet. So. Of course. I so mean, that I, seems like that's pretty likely. I, I, I just keep popping in my head like how. Jeremy used to always use the Massachusetts welcomes you sign to anyone who would say crap to him on Twitter. You need a Vermont welcomes you sign. for. <laughs> I didn't come up with that. I just know a good meme when I see it. And yeah. so I, I copied that one. Uh, I think that was the discord crew. So, so discord.gg slash FSP. They're really leading the meme warfare uh, in the free state project. So if that's, if that's how you want to contribute, get in the discord. I just when someone posts something good, I I I steal it. I culturally appropriate it uh, shamelessly. So, so what's, now, what's next for Jody? Yeah, with, for me, huh? <laughs> I mean, what's happening to me is things fall in my lap. This I didn't ask for it, you know. I mean, it's my husband who did it, but we weren't in cahoots, you know. People are accusing it. We have we have an agenda. We have an agenda. Three staters have an agenda, and sometimes I mean. 
we kind of do. We want to be left alone. <laughs> we want to have low taxes. And, you know, most of the people in my town feel the same way, which is good. But, um, I mean, next, really, I mean, I, I, I've been on the go since May 12th, sorry, March 12th, um, since this meeting, because I'm trying to figure out what we can do. Uh, the current model that we're looking at, which seems to be, I think, the only viable model under the $800,000 budget is to go to micro schools. Um, they're, they're just so much cheaper than the, the public school options and they still, they provide choice and the evaluations like over the last two years for COVID were that even like, a lot of teachers went and taught at like Prendipods and stuff. Um, mm. They were, they didn't want to go back to their public schools after that. They really liked the micro school model. Better um, for everybody. So it, what exactly it, is that? Um, I mean, basically, you, you go to a room, a place, you know, um, and there's a coach. That's what they know. They call it. I don't remember. Coach, mentor, something, guide. Yep. Um, and you have your own online curriculum that you work through at your own pace. But you have somebody in the room um, who can help you if you need it. And so age relevant stuff, the younger they are, the less screen time they get. There might be an activity that they have to do, but then they can go offline to do it. And that's about a, a third of the day. And then another third, they're doing um, problem solving. And another third, they're doing projects, but based on their own interests. And they're grouped with kids, presumably with similar interests and what, however that works. And the, the guide um, is the one who coordinates all those things. So that, that's a Prenda for school or pod. Um, Very cool. We're, we're, we're running out of time. And, and one thing we haven't talked about at all is that you're also pretty involved in in homesteading or or, yes. or sort of oh yeah free state farming and and all this. You're part of Bardo Farm. Maybe just talk a little bit about that uh, and what's going on there and this aspect of the movement. And also, as I ask that question, I'm also going to disappear for a minute because my child is yelling at me. Fair enough. <laughs> sure. So um, when we moved here back in September 2007, um, the property we fell in love with was off the grid, and it was our plan to move off grid. So we have a 210-acre property that has turned into Bardo Farm over the years. I mean, it was pretty quick that that actually started. A year later, uh, Neil and Emily got married, and somebody gave them a couple of piglets for their wedding present. And the four of us, of course, raised the pigs and, and harvested them in the fall. The town was fantastic. There were people in town who like showed us how to do it, invited us yep. to their own harvest, and then came and and guided us during our own. It was, I mean, it was awesome. Talk about good neighbors. Um, uh, but we are off grid. We, you know, solar. We have no public cables coming to our property. Let's let's put it that way. Ah, that's amazing. Um, yeah, uh, you know it has its challenges. Uh, you of know, cell phones, no, no landlines, electricity. Oh, yeah. I mean, but you know, the good news with electricity is, you know, that 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 ice storm that happens every year, it doesn't really affect us. You know, where electricity goes out in half the state, we're like, yeah, we have electricity. What's going on? I mean, I can be kind of an ass about it. <laughs> um, so, and Bardo has like a great reputation locally too. Like, I remember. When I was campaigning out in Newport, when I was running for Senate in 2020, and we were at the Newport Farmer's Market one Thursday afternoon, or Friday, I forget what day of the week it is. It always struck me as weird that the Newport Farmer's Market was in the afternoon in the middle of the week instead of a weekend or something, but I loved it. Friday. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I, lo I loved going up for it, and I remember we had a table up there one time, and somebody came over and like, what's a libertarian? And A.J. Olding explains his definition of what libertarianism is, and this woman just stares at us blankly for a few seconds. She's like, like Bardo Farm? Huh? And we're like, yeah, like that. We're going to go with that. You, That's our reputation. We'll take it. Nice. So. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, so Bardo Farm, Jeremy, you're muted. <laughs> Um, Bardo Farm, um, we, um, we breed pigs, we raise cows for beef and for veal, um, turkeys in season, chickens over the summer, eggs year round when the chickens feel like eating. Um, uh, we've had rabbits over the years, we've had goats, but this is where we are now. We have a CSA, Community Supported Agriculture. So there's monthly plans, you've got a pork plan, a meat lovers plan, and I think they just started a new one. And I don't keep fully on top of what they're offering. They, they, Emily runs um, market days all over the state, which means she does deliveries there. So it makes it easy for um, for our community to, to actually participate in the CSAs and get good locally grown meat. Um, COVID was good to Bardo Farm too. Remember when meat was really scarce in the supermarkets? So people started um, coming more to Bardo. So yeah, it's been good. Bardo's been good to us. Bardo's been good to everyone. It's my favorite source of meat, and like I, I don't sign up for the CSA, but I definitely go every market day in Manchester and whatever spare cash I have lying around in my budget, just buy a bunch of steak from Emily. So. I got a freezer full of Bardo Farm meat, and I could not be more grateful. You know, <laughs> so it's just a higher quality meat. It's more low. Like there's something about having locally grown meat where you know your friends are the ones doing the farming. Like your money's not going to a corporation, and it's weird. That's an incredibly leftist thing to say, but sometimes the leftists get it right that local is better, and you don't need to support corporate farming when you have homesteaders in your community that you can do business with and support. It's not even just that. You know, when you get your meat from like the grocery store and you get a pound of ground beef, for example, I think that pound of ground beef has like 25 to 35 cows in it. You know, it's like from so many, they basically threw a bunch of different animals into a meat grinder. Um, if you get your meat from Bardo Farm, it might be from one cow. You know, that might be from one animal. So you're not like digesting 30 different animals all at the same time. Um, so that's. That's like a, I think it's better for you. It needs your digest. You know, I, I have a, I have a, a, I have a sense that it's a better flavor, but it could be placebo effect, you know, because I like it so much. Uh, and, and Bardo has a bunch of events too. It's not just a homestead or just a farm. Like you guys do your regional meetup and potluck and like the holiday parties all the time. Like, like uh, when's your next potluck? So our potlucks are first Saturday of every month. And that's usually when we have the special events as well. Yeah. Um, it, it falls on that first Saturday of the month. Sometimes there's other special well. events. We often have a tent at Pork Fest. Um, and everybody's welcome. We, I, this past Saturday, we had a ton of new movers. We always get a ton of new movers. Um, like in the last couple of months, it's, um, it's really fun. We had a good one. When it's nice out, we get a lot of people, even in the winter. It's hard when it's not, but it's all good. It's always good. Yeah. I mean, it's harder for me to get there in the winter with my tiny little car with no four-wheel drive driving up the driveway. Uh, but in the summer, I try and make it out. So. Cool, yeah. Well, you can also call us. We meet you at the bottom of the road. That's not <laughs> either. Yeah. So. And we live on a class six road that we maintain. So it's not town maintained at all. So we plow, we grade, we do the whole thing. It's actually in pretty good shape. We're in mud season right now. It's a little challenging, but still okay. 
right. Hey, well, it has been a real fun time having you on. It's been a real fun educational show. I learned a lot that I didn't know about, and I, I'm probably still ignorant. Jody's probably forgotten more about education than I've learned uh, <laughs> at this point. But it, it's real fascinating what you guys have done. I am super excited to see what happens with your next town meeting. I somehow doubt that they're going to get the 280 some odd people to show up, and that's just going to make them matter. That would be that would be really impressive. Um, just because it, it's going to be a weekday too, isn't it? It's not Saturday. like it, Saturday. Saturday. Okay. But that makes Saturday. it easier to get people to show up on a weekend. But doing it on a weekday would be. I always upsets me when voting is on week weekdays too. Like if you would really want everyone to show up, you shouldn't limit it to the time when everyone has to work. Um, but well, they usually keep the polls open, you know, from morning to night. So. Some places, most places, yeah. depends on whether or not they're trying to rig an election. Right. <laughs> um, but uh, everyone watching, if you want to learn more, you can check out all the Bardo events to Potlucks. They are on the Free State Project calendar. So you can go to fsp.org slash calendar, uh, check out not just the Bardo events and the Upper Valley events, uh, where you can go and meet Jody, Ian, Emily, Neil, everyone else at Bardo, everyone else out in Croydon and the Upper Valley at those events. Uh, if you're anywhere else in the state, you can check out, there's an event happening almost every day where you can meet great libertarians and free staters in the neighborhood, in the community, your future neighbors, if you haven't moved yet and you're visiting. And if you need to plan your visit, go to fsp.org slash visit New Hampshire, get in touch with Chris Lopez, who can help get you plugged in for your visit, figure out where to go, who to see, how to get here, and to plan your move so that when you get here, your neighbors can help you unpack with the welcome wagon. It's one-stop shop to visit, and then move, meet your neighbors, and we're excited to have you. You guys need to get here. Um, and all the information, just go to fsb.org. Jeremy, Bill, anything else? Um, I don't know if I was going to ask one more thing, which may take more than the two minutes we have a lot of, it would be, can, can you explain the long-term thing, Jody, where, uh, people think like they, you know, you're looking to get tens of thousands of dollars out of the, out of the educational freedom accounts, but not, you know, only pay a little bit of property taxes. The goal is to get zero of both, right? Like not get the education, <laughs> not get reimbursed tuition from the state out of your property taxes, but to just erase the property taxes, correct? Like, am I wrong there? I don't understand your question. I'm sorry. I feel like it's based off of a comment. You know, maybe this isn't the best. Schools question. are schools are always the biggest portion of property taxes. That's what they say. And by reducing the school budget, you can reduce the property tax burden. And that's the goal here, right? Not to get the state to pay out tens of thousands of dollars to every oh, no. person or whatever. The goal no, no, is to, no. to eliminate on both ends. We'll, yeah. we'll eliminate the money taken out of people's checks. And then we don't have to give out this money so they can choose where it goes. Right, it's lower the, property taxes. That's that's right. what it is. Okay, just, just to increase that, your freedom from the clear. state. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for joining us, Jody. It's been great. Until thank you everybody for watching and tuning in. And until next time, be free. Live free or die. Don't let the freedom pass you by. Stand up proud and strong, and lead this country on. Live free or die. From the village green to the mountains high, Yankee voices sing. Song of Liberty. In 1623, she touched the hand of history and led the colonies on. Independence was won, and the spirit lives today to guide America on her way. New Hampshire standing free, the home of liberty.